Hello everyone, Ian here with Don the Stat. Well, with the Victorian election in the rearview mirror, the world moves on to the most important decision voters need to make this year, the Essendon Board elections. Voting began on Monday the 28th and will continue to December 12th, with the results announced at the AGM on the 15th of December. After tumultuous and fractured off-season, it's arguably the most important board election in the last 20 years, with those selected having a big task to move Essendon forward after years of stagnation. To help break down all the permutations and options for our listeners, we've invited someone who's gone into a deep dive into the recent history of the board and what's at stake as members go to vote. Mike Reid, welcome to Don The Stat. Well, thanks for having me. No worries. Well, look, before we get into the, the reason why I've got you here, let's let's talk about yourself and, and what's your Essendon story? What's your how have you come to be an Essendon supporter? Yeah, sure. Um, I was basically born into it, like um, like I think many of us. Um, my both sets of my grandparents uh, settled in Essendon when they uh, moved to to Australia. So my parents grew up in the area. Um, I um, grew up in um, Airport Western East Keelor, so kind of pretty close. Um, I was born um, a month before the 85 grand final. Um, so um, I, you know, by, by the time 93 rolled around, I was really in that prime age um, of just getting absolutely obsessed with footy. 93 was also the year that, you know, many Victorians of, of that age um, will have had their um, primary school closed by Jeff Kennett. I, at that time where I was kind of losing that school community as a seven, eight-year-old, Essendon were in the finals and would go down to Windy Hill um, all the time and um, see the training and, like, really have that real sense of community um, that was um, happening um, there. So, so yeah, I think um, 93 just on field alone would have made me um, in love with the Bombers but then to have that extra role of it um, serving as a as a community um, when the you know when my um, little eight year old um, school life was kind of uh, falling apart, um, uh, yeah. So it, it really kind of um, hooked itself uh, into my veins at that kind of age. Yeah, well, we're we're of a similar age. I'm, I think I'm a year younger than you, and you know that that year was the year that I became really, really focused as, a, as an Essendon fan and, and it's gone from there. Is that your defining Essendon memory or are there others that really stand out to you? Yeah, it, it is. But um, there's others like, you know, I, I know um, that I went to a bunch of games in 93 um, and, and the years leading up to that. Um, I know that I've gone to games at Windy Hill when we're still playing there, but I don't have kind of clear memories of, of which games they were. Whereas um, one of the most kind of clear memories I have of um, of going to a game when I was younger was um, the first um, Anzac Day game in '95, uh, and just turning up there and seeing the massive queues, um, you know, waiting ages to get into the ground, um, sitting up the top of the Olympic stand, and the noise all all game long until that final siren and then the dead silence and that kind of the, the way that the energy um, of so many people could just like go from being, you know, real, the sort of thing you can feel to all of a sudden just being sucked out of the whole, the whole venue um, that, yeah, that is something that I think has kind of always stayed with me that um, 
yeah, the the feel of the the crowd of that kind of um, that kind of level. Yeah, that would have been amazing. I I didn't go to I haven't been to that one, but I've been to Anzac Days as well, and you yeah. just get that that rumble and just that electric feel running through you. And it, it goes from, you know, from before the game all the way through, especially if it's a, if it's a close one, like the 95 one ended up. Yes. What about in terms of, of players? What are the ones that have, that have stuck with you and the ones you've enjoyed watching either past or present? So Paul Salmon was the first uh, player that, uh, you know, whose number I had on, on the back of my jumper. Um, when he left, I went up from number three to four, um, having uh, um, Gavin Wanganeen's um, number on my on my jumper. Absolutely loved um, Gavin Wanganeen. I remember like riding, um, having just like a, um, a yellow envelope, um, A4 envelope full of um, handwritten le- uh, letters and drawings and whatever that I did as like a seven, eight year old and um sent to the, to the club. Um, when he left uh, the year after Paul Salmon did, I realised then I probably should stop getting numbers on my <laughs> Um especially because James Hurt then was my favourite player. So <laughs> I didn't, you know, I didn't want to um, jinx, um, you know, his, his future at the club. Uh, ironically, years later, um, coming home from a family birthday at a pub, getting a lift home with a tattoo artist. I ended up uh, getting his name tattooed on my on my leg after a few too many beers. Um, so I think that was far worse than um, than getting the the num- uh, yeah getting his number on my jumper. But um, yeah, there you go. Um, be- besides that, uh, you know, Dustin Fletcher. Um, he's kind of almost spanned my entire time watching watching Bombers. Um, absolutely, yeah, loved him. Uh, at the moment, um, really glad that Waller's back because it's just so exciting to watch. Uh, and I really like the way that uh, Mason Redmond uh, goes about it as well. Yeah, really exciting with with the year that he just had, and, and hopefully he can build on that with with some other players. Uh, well, so we're going to talk about the board the board elections and what that means to the club going forward. Just for uh, reference stake, uh, we're recording this on the second night of the draft, and uh, we just got to the point where it's gone past pick forty, and neither Davy has been picked uh, or Mankara. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. But we we have access to all those players, so just a bit of where we're at at the moment in in real life. So Very I guess yeah, really, really keen to see um, them all at the, all at the club. Um, but let's let's focus on the board then. So uh, there's been more focus on the Essendon board and its makeup this year than at any stage in recent memory. Here, give a recap over what's happened over the course of the year. Obviously, the key event being the takeover of the presidency by David Barham and everything that's uh, happened from there. Yeah, sure. Um, I think if if you go back twelve months um, at this time uh, to to the AGM last year, Paul Brasher and Melissa Verna Green, who are both on the board, they were re-elected unopposed. So there was nobody running for, for any of the seats. Um, they were already on the board. Their terms had expired and, uh, yeah, nobody was challenging. It was pretty stable. We'd just finished our first year with Ben Rutten in charge uh, and things were, you know, we'd overshot expectations and things were looking pretty good. Uh, that lasted, you know, all of five minutes into round one, uh, basically. Uh, and 
that you know that performance against Geelong, um, we never kind of recovered, and throughout that the early part of the season, there were a few things that started to cause uh, you know rumbles. Uh, I think the main one would be Xavier Campbell's contract extension, which the club didn't really you know, announced at the time that just came out um, a few weeks, a few weeks after. And looking back, you kind of wonder, was that leaked knowing that it would be an unpopular decision? There was a lot of people, uh, Essendon fans, Essendon uh, people in the media uh, who wanted uh, external review into the club, into why um, we're having the season we're having. Um, Paul Brasher who was the president uh, of the board. He didn't want an external review. Uh, he thought we'd looked in, you know, we could look at things internally. We had the right people. Um, we just needed to stay the, stay the course. Uh, from the media reports that have come out kind of since things changed, um, we, we kind of get the idea that, um, Dave Barham and I think Andrew Muir were amongst those who had been pushing at board level for an external review. But for a while, um, it's, it's a 10-person board, and for a while um, it seems as though the numbers were kind of deadlocked at 5-all. Um, so there was the uh, Barham uh, faction, I guess you can call it, who um, wanted uh, external review. And there was the Brasher faction who didn't. Um, and um, we can, I think, at least by the time things um, kind of reached ahead, um, the Barham faction was made up of uh, Dave Barham, Andrew Muir, Melissa Verner Green, Dorothy Hisgrove, and Kate O'Sullivan. Uh, whereas uh, Brasher's side, who, who, um, who thought, the uh, internal review would be enough. They wanted to back run. That included Paul Brasher, Peter Allen, uh, who was the finance director, Simon Madden, Sean Wellman, and Kevin Sheedy. And it was around the time of the, or it was the, the day of the loss to Port Adelaide in round 22, where it was a pretty bad loss after, I think, a, I think we were with them for the first quarter. Um, and then it was just as though you know, things had fallen apart. All the positive signs of, of a few games um, from um, from the second part of the year, they were all lost and we just looked um, all at sea on field. And that um, seems to have instigated um, the situation where Kevin Sheedy switched um, his backing from the Brasher side, came across to the Barham side. And what we effectively saw um, was a, a board coup where... Dave Barham now had the numbers to um, to get his way with having the board agree to uh, external review. By commanding the numbers over Paul Brasher, um, it also meant that, that Paul Brasher effectively had to stand down as president um, and Dave Barham um, took over. And uh, I, I think it's worth noting it too at this point that if – if nothing had changed, um, I think we would have been seeing a um, a fully contested um, board challenge. Um, so I think if Brasher was still in charge and um, I, I think that there were enough people behind the scenes um, 
who weren't happy with the kind of with the way the season went on top of the way the last, you know, 20 odd seasons have, have gone um, and um, would have been looking to, to um, replace the whole board entirely. So effectively um, what's happened since then um, we saw all the members of the, um, you know, what I've been calling the, the Brasher uh, faction, um, Paul Brasher, Sean Wellman, Simon Madden, Pete Allen, um, they've all quit the board, which um, which is good um, simply because for stability's sake, um, you need, um, in, in a situation like that, they kind of have to go because if they're staying on the board, there's always going to be speculation um, about, um, you know, about them not being all on the same page and, and that sort of thing. So they've left um, in order to give the club um, clean air. Um, and um, since then, um, we've had added to the board um, Andrew Welsh, um, former former player, Dean Rioli, who um, I'm sure we all um, know and love. Um, and uh, that came about as well as a result of the external review, which found that um, the club should have an Indigenous board member as part of an increased focus um, on, on um, their Indigenous programs. So Dean Riel has come onto the board and um, just recently as well, they've added um, David Wills, um, who's come on as the finance director and also uh, Tim Roberts, who uh, Tim Roberts seems to have a lot of experience in overseeing kind of big construction sort of projects. Um, and I think he was probably taken with a bit of an eye to um, some of the changes um, that are going to come up um, at Windy Hill over the next um, couple of years. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where we sit today. Um, we've had, um, I think, yeah, four um, people, yeah, leave the board in the last couple of months and they've been replaced with, um, yeah, with four other people. Um, but those who were already on the board and um, at the start of the year and are still there, um, I think we, you know, you kind of have to treat it as a completely new board because um, ultimately a, a board will have, you know, strong and robust discussions um, or, or you hope they do um, and and then they take a vote. So we've, we've seen with the external review a situation where there were different opinions. So I, I think you can't kind of lump... Um, Anyone who was on the board at any given time, you can't kind of, you, you can just never know what side of things they were on. Um, they've yeah. just got to, once the decision's been made, they have to publicly back it. But you, yeah. Unless you, you're Kevin Sheedy on the coach. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, he's, you know, he um, operates on a, on a different yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, you've, you've gone into this quite in depth and thank, thank you for going through, you know, the, the, recent history there and, and your Twitter thread going going through the options and also touching on the uh, annual report was really in-depth. Uh, why have you taken such an interest and put so much research into this aspect of the football club? My wife says it's because I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> so I, I think um, th there's a, a few things. Um, basically, um, to start, uh, sh you know, I should go back um, and say that um, – I'm, I'm actually, a, um, you know, my, my specialty isn't in, 
yeah, isn't in boards. Um, I'm, I'm actually a visual artist um, and I'm doing a PhD um, that's looking at how an arts practice um, that uses a methodology of fandom um, can be used to resist the commercialization um, and some of those dominant hegemonic readings of AFL. Um, and that kind of, you know, I say that and I think, oh, what does that actually actually mean? Um, but basically I'm making art about footy um, and more so I'm kind of thinking about um, the different power dynamics in the game or the, the people who are involved in those positions of power. So I'm, you know, I've always kind of been interested, um, especially since the, the saga. Um, I've always really, yeah, since then I've had my eyes opened, I guess, to the corporate and political influences in AFL clubs and the AFL itself uh, and the importance of fans to be able to find a way to retain agency to have a voice in the running of, of their clubs yeah and I, I i guess just to not take it for granted i guess is that yeah, yeah. exactly exactly not take it for granted yeah. and to understand that the club exists in different ways so for for some people um you know if you ask them if you ask uh, someone on the board what is the essendon footy club they might have one answer from, you know, from where they sit and they've got a whole bunch of um, requirements and obligations and, you know, relationships that they have to to keep happy and, and all these sorts of things. Um, if you ask a, a fan, it might be a, a completely different thing. Um, it's, you know, for, for me, the Essendon Footy Club um, is you, you have these um, – you have the team, um, you have these matches, but you also – for me, um, it – it's these. It, it's a way of connecting personal history to the kind of collective um, history. So, um, you know, I can, um, like I was kind of saying earlier about how um, Jeff Kennett was shutting down um, primary schools, uh, and you know, the '93 season is always kind of tied together with that. So I can I can place different events in my life based on um, what was happening in, in football of, of the time and vice versa. Um, so I, I think, um, yeah, there's always this, this connection between footy and, and um, yeah, and, and all the other um, things that are, are going on um, in, in life, um, I, I find. Um, and as a result of that, um, I think having some sort of, you know, treating football not just as an escape from life, but as something that you can actually um, actively have a say in, and, and not just be a, a passive kind of consumer of. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I, I think it's something that I myself haven't paid too close attention to uh, until this year, and really, really started to think about it. Now, let's, if we consider the Essendon board structure, it has ten members on it, which is is quite large compared to most AFL clubs. Uh, for example, Collingwood have seven, Melbourne, Geelong have eight. How is, how is it composed and what's the criteria for being considered to be on the board? Yeah, um, well, Collingwood um, actually have eight because they include the CEO as a, as a board member. So they, they've got seven separate to the CEO, but they, they do include the CEO, um, which I think um, maybe it's St Kilda um, also do that. Um, Essendon used to up until 
2013 when um, Ian Robinson uh, stood, uh, stood down during the, the saga. Uh, and since then, the CEO has sat um, outside of the, the board structure. Um, but yeah, as you say, we've, we've got um, 10 board members, which for, for context, North Melbourne, I think is the smallest with seven. Sydney is the largest with 11. 10 does seem large, um, but there's seven clubs, um, including Richmond, who who do have 10 board members. Um, I think um, eight is um, equally as, as popular a number. With the 10 board members, six of them are elected members or elected positions, and four of them are appointed. So the board, uh, with a, I think it's a two-thirds majority vote, can um, appoint someone um, to the board, but they, they've got a limit of, of four um, people that they can can do that. Um, so the members the members technically have control of the makeup of the board because if they pick the six uh, the six elected members, then that has also has a majority in terms of picking the the selected um, board members. Yeah, yeah. In in theory, um, so yes, that's, in that's theory, kind of where, yeah. So that's where it gets um, a bit more complex. Mm-hmm. So um, for starters, um, terms uh, three terms last for three years. So if you get appointed um, or if you get um, elected, it's a three year term, and that means that each um, AGM. There's, in theory, there's two um, of those elected positions that are up for um, up for election um, each each year. Um, that you know, there's there's different ways that that can change, um, but generally that's that's the way it works. Um, but if somebody retires during their term without seeing out for three years, the club can appoint. Um, it, it becomes what's called a casual vacancy, and the club can appoint somebody into that uh, into the board position, and you get to see out the rest of the time. So I think the easiest kind of example to explain it uh, is that when Dean Rioli was appointed to the board, he uh, was filling. Uh, I think it was. Off the top of my head, I think it was Paul Brasher's position. So Paul Brasher was elected unopposed at the end of last year. So he had a three-year term, which expires at the end of 2024. So when he stood down, that created a casual vacancy, which the club then appointed Dean Rioli to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so Dean Rioli is technically uh, elected member, but he won't actually face election until the end of 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah. There's kind of um, it creates a situation where although you have six elected uh, board positions, they you know technically you could have a scenario where there's um, actually nobody who's faced um, faced election um, yet they're still sitting in elected mm. uh, positions. Um, mm. You know it'd be pretty extreme for for that to happen to have nobody, but. Uh, I, I think uh, uh, coming into this point, maybe only three of the um, elected positions. Um, it'll be four once um, Andrew Welsh um, faces election. Um, yeah, uh, have yeah only only yeah with this election being counted, it'll be four of the six positions who uh, elected positions who have faced um, an election. Yeah. 
I mean, that, as, as I said at the start, that, that began on Monday. And so whose who's positions are up for election and who is allowed to vote in elections? What's the criteria to be allowed to yeah. have a say? Yeah, so um, it's basically open to uh, people who are members in 2022 and uh, over 18. Um, so I, I think that that's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if there's, uh, any restrictions on membership type? Uh, I, I think Essendon's pretty broad with it compared to some other clubs who um, make it so that you know there's only um, very you know it's only the kind of the high level members, the ones high level pay for members them. exactly. Um, whereas Essendon's a lot more um, open with the membership types that you can hold, um, and so yeah, I think it is anyone um, perhaps. It might be limited to um, memberships with match day access, but um, yeah, in, in general, the main thing is um, yeah, you're a 2022 member um, and you're over 18. Um, and if that's the case, you should have um, received an email. I think it was from um, Corp Vote um, on Monday Monday morning when um, the election opened up. Um, so yeah, um, there's two spots. Uh, so that is um, Andrew Muir, who's been on the board since 2015. Um, he's been up for election twice. Um, both times he's been elected unopposed, um, meaning there were as many people running as there were um, spots vacant um, or, or up for re um, renewal. Um, so he's um, yeah been elected unopposed in 2016 and 2019. So um, he's now been on the board for about seven years. Um, he's um, known as the um, as the owner of Good Guys uh, up until I think in 2016. JB Hi-Fi bought him out for um, about 750 million dollars. Um, so yeah, he's um, the former kind of white goods and appliance uh, king. Um, and the other um, spot is Andrew Welsh's, who um, only recently joined the board. They placed him, yeah, he got given one of the casual vacancies that was up for re-election this year. Uh, and I think it's probably fair to say that they did that knowing that former players are much more likely to, to be um, re-elected than um, if they had just put a kind of a no name, um, at least, you know, to- business, business, Someone from the business community or something along that exactly. line. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I think they were a bit tactical as to which um, seat they, uh, which vacancy they gave Andrew Welsh. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess, so that sort of leads into into the next part. And, you know, you've talked about how the last couple of elections have been uncontested. We've actually got a contested election, which you would, uh, which would be something that would make sense given the uh, the nature of, of the last year, that people want to uh, get on the board and, and change things up. Uh, without going into too much detail about all of them, I think you can read about them on uh, online. And a lot of them have done uh, interviews with other SNN podcasts. I know the Lunchtime Catch-Up podcast has had a couple and the Sash has, I think about five of them have gone on the Sash and I think one even just came out uh, earlier today. So if you are interested, you can go hear from them uh, through those channels and, and look at their look at their bios on the Essendon website. Just is there a general general theme to the sort of people that are applying for the board other than the two that are currently uh, already on the board and, and reapplying for their position? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say men in suits um, sums up, um, or at least men um, in collars um, would sum up most of them based on the, the photos. Um, it's it's largely um, people who have have some form of you know governance or finance or, or business sort of um, experience. Generally, they've served on the board um, somewhere else before, um, or, or you know they currently, um, as is the case with people who end up on boards, um, they often end up on multiple ones. Um, there's, I, I think there's, I won't go into all of them, but there is um, Ben Dunn, who was on the board from um, 1998 to 2006. Um, so, yeah, he's he's had past board experience at Essendon. He's he's also been, I think, pretty active on on Twitter and um, answering some some questions and stuff. Um, but I, I think a lot of the people who are running for um, for one of those two spots, um, they generally seem to um, say that they're um, unhappy with um, how things are going um, or how things have gone in, in recent times, and they feel as though they can help. So that's, I think, what seems to motivate a lot of them. But I, yeah, I, I've got various um, views on on how helpful um, some of that some of that is, um, which yeah, maybe we'll um, speak about later. But but I think um, yeah, there, there's I'd, I'd probably say I'd, I'd recommend reading the the candidate statements. And just doing so critically and thinking, okay, what's this person? You know, it, it's easy to to read a candidate statement and say, this is great. You know, this person's um, sick of um, Essendon being crap for the last 20 years. You know, that's so am I. Um, but then it's like, well, that's why we've had this board coup. Um, you know, we've got an external review, which is... Um, has come out with a bunch of recommendations that the board are going to implement. So what will a new candidate onto the board actually bring um, to change things when there's already, um, yeah, a bunch of changes in in progress? Mm. Well, it's good you bring up, you know, you've got you've got some thoughts and we're moving from the sort of factual part of the show to more of the opinion part, just so it's clear that in terms of, how people should take what what's about to be said. Uh, many people may have already voted when they received the email on Monday, uh, but there's still many of us will still have you know a couple of weeks almost to complete that vote. So there's still listeners with a choice to make. So I guess you know, in your view, what should supporters be looking for in board members with their selection this round of elections? Yeah, um, I think it probably goes um, a bit to um, what I was just saying about really listening to what they have to say, but not just kind of saying, oh, that, you know, I, I agree um, that that we need to become a good good club again on, on field. But, um, you know, it, it's um, thinking, okay, who is already on the board? What are, you know, what are the skills we already have on the board? And you can look in the um, the annual report that um, just came out recently, and that has a profile of the current board members as well. Um, so you can see where the kind of different skills are. Um, so think about that and think about, 
okay, is this candidate just replicating what we already have um, on, on the board? Um, do they bring something new to it? Um, I, I'd also say um, just think about what candidates say and, you know, interrogate, does it, you know, will it work in practice? So this is, I think, uh, I go back to um, some of the findings of a um of the external review and people, um, you know, will I think that remember that some of the key takeaways were that we've got to invest more in development um, and the club's gone and hired a bunch of um, development coaches. Um, we've got to improve um, Indigenous programs and, um, and relations um, and the club um, has got Dean Rioli on board um, and is, um, I think, looking to make some other other changes there. Um, we've got to make the hangar more um, open to open to fans. Have more kind of family days or, or events that are accessible to fans, regardless of their class or their financial situation. Um, so when yeah, when when reading or listening to to promises that are being made or or, or people who who may seem as though they're understanding the problems, just really ask yourself, um, you know, are we already doing this? Um, Recognise that this is a is a new board um, that we've got now um, and it's not the same um, as, as the one we had um, even at the start of the year. Um, and I know it probably sounds like I'm I'm cheerleading um, a bit for this board and, and I do have... Um, you know, have some issues um, with how things have, have gone, um, you know, the way Rutten was um, treated in his last week or two and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I, I personally do think that there's a real argument for um, saying that, you know, these um, the people on the board, they took a somewhat of a, of a, of a brave step in, you know, in not just sitting back and in actually, um, effectively overthrowing the the board um, in order to get an external review done and to start to act on on the outcomes of that. Um, so yeah, I, I think for me that that's kind of where I where I sit with it. Um, yeah, but but you know, it's people different people are going to have different opinions on that too. Um, I know that um, one of the candidates they speak of being a regional member um, and that you know that there's a lack of representation um, or of consideration at the board level um, of of regional members and and that's the thing as well that um, the board can be pretty um, homogenous they can all seem to kind of swim in the same circles um and you know i do wonder um yeah obviously it, it can make a difference having having different opinions there um but it might also be that um regardless of who's on the board they just need to do a better job of, of listening to of engaging with um with fans um yeah i think that you've sort of answered one of the next questions i had what are the biggest challenges for the board you know going to 2023 and beyond you know the immediate of the implementing the external review but just you know that that ongoing you know striving to to be a better club for for the players and for the members and for, and for the fans there just 
moving off the board slightly, one of the things that was highlighted by yourself and others when going through the AGM was the uh, reliance on Pokey's income that the club has with with its with its two venues, I, I believe, one in Melton. Um, I can't remember what the other one is. Sorry. Windy Hill. It's in Windy Hill, sorry. Yeah. So, you know, the club isn't exactly going around saying that they, they have these Pokies venues. It only really comes up when you when you go through the annual report. It's not, you know, it's not one of the, the their key performance indicators that they're they're promoting. Can you explain how the club is connected to Pokies through through those clubs and what they're getting out of it? And if I know that uh, there's a lot of members who have concerns about the club's connection, how do you think they can go about getting the club to change its stance? Yeah, um, good, good question. The club owns Pokies um, venues at both Windy Hill um, and also also at the Melton Country Club. Through those two venues um, combined since the um, since July. 2005 um, through to the end of June this year, uh, $206,042,174. Wow. Have been lost by gamblers there. So that's not how much profit Essendon has made from it, um, but that's how much money has been lost um, on the, on the pokies there. Um and we know that these can be um, particularly um, Melton um, can be in lower socioeconomic um, regions. So um, there's a lot of kind of damage that that, um, that they do. And um, I know that you know some people um, will have different views and um, will happily um, you know will will go to the pokies every now and then and um, and might have a good time, um, but. Um, the damage that they do to, to some people is is real, um, and I, you know, I in my late teens, early twenties, I worked at a at a pokies venue, so um, I, I kind of speak from having seen um, seen some of that. Um, one one example was a woman who'd come in all the time, and um, she owned uh, with her husband a block of land and she was secretly building a house on that block of land in order to, in order to sell it um so that she could gamble the the proceeds of the the sale of her oh, house geez. um without her husband and and this is just like what happens in these kind of extreme situations of of um of addiction um and so with the club owning these uh venues um effectively i think we're um profiting off off that kind of damage um and you know you say uh the, the question got asked of agm last year to, to paul brasher um about getting out of pokies and he said if we got rid of them um if we you know they, they wouldn't just close they'd be sold on to someone else um and his justification was that we run them to the best standards um, of responsible um, gambling service so that um, we're almost doing a community service um, by making sure that, um, you know, that they're not um, in the hands of some dodgy operator instead, which I think if you if you kind of go back to, to what the purpose of the football club is, um, they 
you know, they generally originated back in the 19th uh, century when um, well-off local business people might put an ad in the paper to, um, you know, have a meeting about the formation of the footy club for uh, the, the young men of the area to stay fit um, and these, these sorts of things. So it, it was meant to be to benefit the public health of the community. Um, this is kind of the origins of the football clubs in, in some ways. And uh, the pokies um, being involved with them, I, I don't see how that um, relates, you know, how that fits with the, the ethos of, of being a, a footy club that serves a community. So, you know, the, the, the club will say that because of the steady revenue that they bring in, um that it's helped over the last decade. It's, you know, helped go towards building the hangar, um, getting us through the, the saga, um, all these sorts of things. Um, but I think there's just a lack of um, bravery in in finding a way to wean themselves off it. You know, Hawthorne um, recently sold their venues um North Melbourne, I think, have got out um, as of the Bulldogs and a bunch of other clubs. Um, so there are ways to to do it. Um, you know, I'm I'm I don't have the answers um, for that, but there's plenty of um, finance and business people on the board who um, who should have um, you know should be able to kind of um, find a way to be a um, you know, to keep the their heads above water um, without that, um, and and I think for from a fan's perspective of what we can do, you know, if, if the board isn't taking action, you, you just kind of have to pressure them to. You have to let them know um, that you're not happy about it if, if that's how you feel um and that can be as simple as um you know emailing the club and letting them know um showing up to agm and asking about you know about them if it does go on i think there's definitely an argument for you know having some sort of pressure group or some sort of um kind of lobby group that um is made up of like-minded fans who will publicly pressure the club to to get out of them yeah and you know that the first step of that sort of thing would involve actually having a conversation with the club and seeing where where they're at um you know because obviously if if they do want to get out of them um from a commercial perspective they're not going to telegraph that um because suddenly that puts them in a in a um, worse off position with any potential buyers and, and those sorts of things, um, but but I think it's it's basically a, a reminder that there are ways to exert pressure on the club if if they're not doing the right thing. Um, you, you can also trace that back to the Thorburn um, decision. If you see how quickly the club moved on that. And that came from members calling up and cancelling memberships. Um, it came from groups such as the the Purple Bombers, um, who I think had conversations with the with the club um, about what his appointment would mean um, to them. Um, no doubt, it came from um, other staff and um, and perhaps even sponsors um, looking at the, the kind of presser we were starting to get. Um, but even, you know, even before that broke um, in in the Herald Sun, you know, I'd, I'd tweeted about it and um, had um, 100 
plus thousand views um, on on Twitter alone, and um, and that was um, kind of uh, like there was deep engagement with that straight away when when people kind of. Um, saw the the conflict between his roles um and um and felt as though the club um wasn't making the right decision um in in having someone like that um as the ceo so so i think that it, it does show that the club will act if there's enough pressure on them um it, it something like the pokies would take a sustained um sort of sort of pressure and you wouldn't get something as high profile and as instant um as what happened with thorburn um but there are ways of um of forcing the club's hand or, or of just letting them know that we're um yeah that you know we may not be happy with with their continued reliance on the the, the pokies um and that um that they better um start to to look to um yeah find alternatives well it's it's an interesting point point you bring up there about really requiring efforts of the members i'm sure there are people already who are who are questioning it and as you say it, it's often brought up at the agm but you know sometimes these things require that that concerted effort so you know it's maybe something to look look forward to in in the future and in getting involved in potentially look thanks for your time and insight tonight mike really appreciate you you jumping on and expanding on on the thread that you posted and and your insights into into the board and, and what people should be looking for uh before we go where can people find you online um mostly just on on twitter at the moment um so my- as long as that lasts as long as that lasts exactly. Um, so yeah, my username there is um, Mike underscore Reed um, R E A D uh, underscore. Um, so yeah, that's where I mostly found at the at the moment anyway. Excellent. Well, look, I'll make sure that there's a link to that in the description of this episode. And yeah, do give do give him a follow. Uh, you know, obviously the the thread that inspired this chat, you know, was was really powerful read. And then the 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 thread you had on Thorburn as well, you know, had, had quite a big impact in terms of, you know, opening people's eyes to to the consequences of that decision. So just want to thank you again for coming on. Um, so as I said, jump on and, and check out uh, your work there. Yeah, cool. Thanks for, um, yeah, thanks for the invite. Oh, awesome. Uh, also, thanks to uh, Lama Bin Wild on Twitter, who made the suggestion to get Mike on the show. I think it's the second or third time you've made a suggestion, Lama. That's that's worked out quite well. So thanks for that. I might have to give you a little uh, agency fee um, for getting getting guests for the show. Um, we'll have another episode out tomorrow. Um, I'll be talking with Jasper for a quick reaction to Essendon's draft nights. Uh, we'll note that we did finally get Alan Davy at pick forty five, which is crazy to me based on the suge- uh, the selections. But I'll dive deeper into that with Jasper. Uh, tomorrow. Until then, uh, thanks for listening and go Dons.